This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne, and thanks for joining me. This is an independent England football supporters podcast. And with the September international window just coming to a close, we've got plenty to talk about in this episode. And we'll get on to that very soon. First, though, I just wanted to say thank you for the feedback on the recent episode that I released. That was the one where I spoke with Coventry and England fan Brian Wright about his England travels. And that was part one of a two-part series. And that second part will be coming your way very soon. So stay subscribed at your usual podcast provider. And you shouldn't miss it. Also, don't forget that the podcast is on all the usual social media channels. Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search Three Lines Podcasts. Give it a follow. Feel free to interact. It's always good to chat. Now, you may remember after the European Championships final in the summer, I was joined by Aidan Smith from 3lions.net, Matt Asprey from Matt Asprey Sport on WordPress, and Dom Smith from englandfootball.org. And I'm pleased to say I've got the gang back together, individually this time, to chat about each game. So let's start with that result in Budapest with Aidan. Now, it's my pleasure to welcome back to the Three Lions podcast. We haven't spoken since oh, since that final um, in July. Welcome back to Aidan Smith from 3lions.net. Aidan. Hi, Russell. How are we doing? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Yourself? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you. I've recovered. Yeah, haven't we all? Just, just. Yeah, let's talk hungry, which we sort of had a, a brief conversation uh, before the, the match was, was played. And, and I think it's safe to say we both kind of got the, uh, our predictions wrong for this one. Uh, yeah, I don't really think there's any way else to put that, is it? We no. got it very wrong, I think. <laughs> yeah, so so we're away at Hungary. First of all, I just wanted to mention that there was only one change from that starting eleven that faced Italy in the summer. Grealish instead of Trippier. How did you feel? It all quite a uh, quite a strong lineup, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that was always going to be important. I kind of anticipated that being the case. Just get off to a good start after the summer. Got to remember also that on paper, I mean, it's, many were saying that this was our toughest test of the of the ten games. Yeah, and especially with it being probably in the worst possible place over over the football calendar for the for the qualifiers, the first one in the September break. I mean, that is that's crucial, and um, everyone's got the, you know the stereotype of the September international break. It always goes wrong. No one's got energy. No one's got fitness. You know, they've had a two week holiday after seven games in a in a month period. I think back to last September, I don't know if you remember, we had Iceland in Reykjavik, Denmark away in Copenhagen, and it was yeah. a 1-0 victory with a with a penalty and then a 0-0 draw. And it was just the most tired, ugly football uh, I've ever seen from England. And it just felt like the epitome of everything that could possibly go wrong in a September international break. I didn't feel like that yesterday. Partly, yeah, like you say, that was probably down to the lineup we put out. Yeah, I, I feel like we had a very sure game plan and, and, and that was executed well. It was just keep doing the right things. I'm sure that our 
halftime talk was pretty much that, you know, Gareth saying, let's keep it going. You're doing the right things. Keep trying to run with the ball. Keep trying to make wise passes. Don't overthink anything. And eventually they will tire. Gaps will begin to, to, to form in their back line, in their midfield, and we'll be able to penetrate a little bit more. And that's exactly what we saw in the end. Um, mm. the, the first two goals were just nippy counterattacks, which got all of our attackers involved and uh, lovely movement off the ball. And eventually it's poked into the net from close range. And that's exactly the kind of goals that you want to see, because that means that you've completely carved them open. You know, that, that, the real show that you are a better side, I think, when you look at what sort of goals you can score. I think throughout the second half, mainly, you know, the only real threat that they had against England was scoring from a, you know, a flipped on corner or one of the free kicks that they earned or, uh, you know, a counterattack where we get caught out having one man back, which we didn't. So that was, that was really pleasing as well. And yeah, four nil first game back, tough opposition, tough place to play. And I'm sure we'll get onto that in a minute, but yeah, you can't really complain with that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sterling, as you say, scored that first one to, to silence everyone. Kane got the header for the second from that was when I looked back on that goal was a great worked goal and it began with like I think it was Calvin Phillips just pinged a ball into was it into Grealish who put it onto Sterling who just put it across and and Kane literally just flung himself at it I mean there's some great photos of him in the air which was great Uh, Maguire header for the third one which the keeper I mean the keeper had a a shocker of a game, really, that second half. He fumbled that one in. Um, and then Declan Rice from four from the outside of the area. Again, the keepers, <laughs> if he's not kicking himself, he's pretty much his teammates will be. But yeah, everyone had a real good game. Sterling in particular, I thought. And, and Grealish had a, uh, had a good game too. No one really no one really came off that pitch for England thinking, oh, I could have done better, I don't think, could they? No, I wouldn't have thought so. I wouldn't have thought so. I think... Yeah, you mentioned Sterling, Grealish. These are the kind of players that everyone really takes takes note of uh, when they play for England. These are the players that make things happen. That's the that's the positions they play in. I have gotten quite frustrated, at, you know, in the lead up to a, a major tournament when everyone's got their opinions on what the starting lineup should be, and I was getting very frustrated just before the Euros and during the Euros when people were saying we should have some sort of midfield three of Foden, Grealish, and Mount. I mean. You know, the, the reason we love these players is because they they do the creative attacking work. Yeah. And if you don't have those unfashionable Declan Rice kind of players in there, then they're not able to do that. They have to have some sort of defensive responsibility as well. Whereas if you have those defensive players in, it leaves them free to go forward and, and make things happen, which we saw certainly with the first and second goals. But yeah, I just touched on Rice there and I want to I want to touch on that a bit more. Declan Rice is the sort of player who I love because in the formation that we play now, we've got we've got two sort of sweeping midfielders in front of the defence and Calvin Phillips has become a favourite. Jordan Henderson was there beforehand yeah. and Jude Bellingham is coming through now. And with Declan Rice, because he does all the donkey work, it leaves that second one free to go and do all the running and it makes them look absolutely amazing. You know, every time I see on the, the England Instagram uh, account after a game and you see the touch map of Phillips or Henderson, whoever it was, because they've been given the freedom to go and do that. Yeah. And that was certainly noticeable last night was, was Calvin Phillips's free roam sort of role just behind the midfield, the attacking midfield three, you know, Declan Rice's passing as well. I mean, I did a bit of poking around. I found out that, you know, his past success rate uh, against Hungary the other night, it was 92.5%. And 
that is only his sixth best of this calendar year. <laughs> really? For England. Yeah, and he's played 10 games for England this, this calendar year, and that's his sixth best, 92.5%. I mean, that, that puts it in perspective, doesn't it? With, with a player like him, and he's only 22 years old, 23 in January. You can assume that he's going to be an England player for another, what, 11, 12 years? That's makes something to be quite excited about, really, isn't it? Yeah, well, it makes you wonder. He's, he's certainly not going to be a West Ham player for 11, 12 years on that, those sort of statistics. No, well, I think if he were playing in the 1960s, you could probably argue that he would be, but no, yeah. probably not now. Although, you know, getting that experience with captaincy as well, that's something else that you've got to consider. Is he going to be a new addition to the to the leadership team when when someone else drops out? These are all exciting prospects, and 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 Declan Rice is among them, definitely among them, and something to be excited about because he gives those other players that freedom to do what they do for their clubs a bit more because it's more of a free flowing game, and often people you know they get frustrated about how cagey international football is. With Declan Rice there, I think it gives a little bit more freedom for for them to go forward and, and give a bit more attacking impetus. And I really, really enjoyed seeing that last night. I think that was crucial to the win. Yeah, and he's he's not afraid to uh, to get involved and uh, and be f- sort of photographed in in some exciting areas. Yeah, with with the flares and the beer and and all that, he's uh, he's made himself very much a an England favourite. Yeah, I, I mean we can't not talk about it though, can we? The the atmosphere there. Um, to, you know, to start with, the anthems from from watching it on the telly seemed to be quite well respected. Um, obviously, there were very few England fans there to to be heard um, singing the English anthem, um, and and the Hungarians respected that. And then, obviously, there was the the taking of the knee, which got booed, and then uh, the first half seemed to just go by with little or no events. And then, obviously, when when England scored, Raheem Sterling scored, unfortunately, up at that end where their ultra sections were. Um, he was uh, rained down on by by plastic cups and then obviously the unsavoury chanting that was heard. I, I don't know what to say that hasn't been said already, really. Yeah, well, we had a bit of a section on this after the after the Euros. Uh, I think it was after the Italy game we spoke about this. Yeah. And um, we sort of covered everything there. But you think back to... It was away to Bulgaria in October 2019 and we got dangerously close to initiating the third point on the UEFA protocol, which is to abandon the game and walk off. Yeah, We had it even before then against Montenegro. In the last two or three years, these players have had to put up with quite a lot. And when you play in a hostile environment already, even without the racist abuse, as, as a, you know, in Budapest, that's, that's going to be, you know, that's going to be a tough away fixture with tough away fans. Yeah. Uh, and then to experience that as well. I mean, it makes things very, very difficult for Gareth as well. I mean, I know this is the least of our worries, but who, you know, he's got to make a decision then about, okay, can we put 18-year-old Jude Bellingham on the pitch? Is this something that's going to harm him for, a you know, long term? He made a decision that, okay, Saka can deal with it, Lingard can deal with it, Sterling, Calvin Phillips, Kyle Walker, they all played. You know, some of them only got a few minutes, but, it does affect things, you know, and it, it, he's got to make the right call there. And that's not the sort of call that anyone's ever had to make for him before. And yeah. so, you know, what, what does he do there? It's very, very tricky. Of course, I, you know, I've, I've mentioned that is the least of our worries, but it is a concern for these players because it can cause some long-term damage for them if they're, if they're exposed to that too early. You know, a lot, a lot of the players tried to stand up to it in a, in a comical way when we were celebrating the goals, drinking the beer cups that have been 
thrown at them. But, you know, Harry Kane quickly stopped that and, and you know, they'd clearly gone through the possibilities in the changing room. But Gareth Southgate also said before the match that, you know, rightly said that these problems are not, you know, non-existent in England. There is a, a small, very small proportion, but still a loud proportion yeah. of uh, of fans, or can we even call them fans? I don't know, of, of the population who behave in, in you know, in, in the same way that to what we saw in, in Budapest. So you've got to wonder whether the UEFA protocol has to be taken a bit more seriously, a bit more frequently. Uh, it's not, you know, it spoils our evening. We don't want to get ready for an England match you know, buy our popcorn, buy our Pringles, whatever it is, and and then you know it gets stopped forty minutes in. We don't want that, but but if it has to happen, this is for a bigger cause. You would hope that if it got to that stage, they would take action. That was that would be what I would hope anyway. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I would suggest you know I, I would I would assume it didn't get to that stage, but there were calls heard by coaching staff, by players even players who weren't even on the pitch. And so, you know, it can affect them. I, I wouldn't underestimate how much that, that, might, that might affect their confidence going into future games. Yeah, well, it's um, obviously the next game is Andorra at home, where obviously we'll, we'll hope and 99% guarantee that there won't be anything like that at Wembley. Poland, maybe. I don't even really want to, we don't need to go down that just yet. Um, but yeah, just just looking forward to Andorra um, based on the, we can't really sort of base it on much on the team that played against Hungary because we know full well that Gareth is going to chop and change it around. But it is going to be a good opportunity for, I don't know, maybe Nick Pope, Patrick Bamford, Bakayo Saka to come in, get all these sort of players that are within the squad to, uh, to get another cap. Yeah, I was... Um... I was thinking just after that Hungary game, you know, we're still waiting and, and even looking at the Euros as well. Four goals for Kane. I think it was a goal, a goal for Maguire, three goals for Sterling. We're still waiting for some of the younger players to get regular goals for England. And this could be a good chance to sort of make that happen a bit quicker. In these sorts of games, it can get their confidence up if they've been thrust into, a you know, games against Germany and Denmark in in you know, knockout games or tournaments, that that's not really the sort of environment when you expect, you know, a, a new player to get their first goal. So I, I'll certainly be looking for, you know, Saka, Mason Mount. I know Mason Mount's already got four England goals. Saka's already got one. But for these sorts of players, even Patrick Bamford, if he plays, to get some goals on the board, we want, you know, the, the depth of the squad to have these numbers to their names. So it's a good opportunity. I wouldn't underestimate Andorra. You know, they're, with all due respect to San Marino, they're not San Marino. They may not camp behind the ball as much. You know, that that could leave space in behind. But I think they will bring the game to England. It's a big deal for them playing at Wembley. I've been to Andorra and I've seen their their stadium, their old stadium and their new stadium. And, and it's, it's a big step up, let me tell you, playing at Wembley in front of 90,000 fans. So I think I think they'll be ready for that. I think this will be the, the game of the three games this month that they will have looked at more than any other. But I'll be excited to see some of the younger, perhaps newer faces get a start, get get some game time yeah. in that game. People like Jude Bellingham. I know Jordan Henderson's had you know in, injury troubles that pretty much kept him out of the starting lineup at the Euros. It'd be good to see him get some game time as well. You mentioned there Nick Pope. I don't know whether we will change the goalkeeper. If we do, it's a good opportunity for them. Any team you play against, it's still an England cap. Whether or not you, you make 
20 saves or two saves, still an England cap. So I'd like to see some fresh faces in there and then uh, look to Poland to, to, to get that win as well, round the international break-off well. Oh, that would be nice. Nine points um, from, a, uh, from a maximum nine would be good. And yeah, and, and top that group going into, well, it's October, isn't it? Into the, to the next two games. Yeah. Aidan, uh, thank you very much for your time as always. And, and yeah, perhaps we can catch up at the, at the Andorra Wembley game. Yeah, brilliant. Look forward to it. Thanks, and- Russell. No worries. As always, you can find Aiden on threelions.net. So Andorra at home, Andorra at Wembley. Gareth Southgate made 11 changes from that starting side against Hungary. That was the 4-0 win. And obviously England fans will be going into this one with Huge or higher expectations. Uh, as I say, 11 changes. Sam Johnston, Rhys James, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Kieran Trippier, Tyrone Mings, Connor Cody, Jude Bellingham, Jordan Henderson, Patrick Bamford made his debut. Jesse Lingard was back and Bakayo Saka. Uh, and here to join me and go over it, just mull it all over. Uh, welcome back to Matt Asprey. Hi, Matt. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Yeah, yeah, I'm all good. I think the uh, the lines a bit in and out, but we'll, we'll see how we get on. Um, you were there, weren't you? Yes, I uh, made the trip down to Wembley on Sunday, and in the sweltering heat, got to see an uh, interesting performance to say the least. But obviously, came away with the three points. We're already one step closer to uh, Qatar uh, next December. That's right. Yeah, I mean, four 0 was a was a great result, and it was well a, a B side, wasn't it? Yeah, it was very experimental. I mean, there was no surprise that Patrick Bamford started. There was rumours he was going to play from straight after the final whistle at Hungary. I mean, Trippier came back in. Timings and Connor Cody were there at centre-back. Reese James came in. But the main eye-opener was when uh, it was Trent Alexander-Arnold who Gareth Southgate decided to put from the team selection. Clearly, uh, Southgate was using this game as a as an experiment to see if he could... Uh, Mess a few positions with players. Um, it was great to see Jesse Lingard back in the team as well, but I think uh, some are questioning his uh, eligibility to be in the side, considering he hasn't really played that much for Manchester United this season. But overall, no, it was uh, an experimental lineup. But at the end of the day, they came away with a few points, even though a flurry of goals came on when the likes of Grealish and uh, Harry Kane came on as well. But at the end of the day, you know, Southampton, I give all these players. Um, Ago and also with it being a triple header of international matches as well. Yeah, obviously Andorra sort of filled the back line. Um, it was a, a a big wall of red trying to get through them. But I, part of me was like, we am I being a bit too hard on them, thinking that we should be able to a team like that with, with experienced professionals, uh, we should be able to break down a team like Andorra a little bit easier than than it actually took. Yeah, I mean, you've got to give credit to Andorra, I think. I was, even though the score lines is 4 0, they put everything on the line, in my opinion. I thought they were, obviously, they tried to be as disciplined as they could, but I do agree with you there. I think going in at half time with just the one goal to our name through Jesse Lingard, I think that wasn't, I think, uh, at half time when we were, it felt going in at 1 0, it felt like we are. Better that lineup should do better. I mean, Bamford, I don't think he's helped himself too much in his debut. It's 
I know, obviously, it's his first game in the first team. You know, there's a lot of expectation on his shoulders considering the role he plays for. It was more concerning in terms of putting teams to the sword rather than the performance. It was like, we should be like two or three and a lot here. Yeah, you, you did just break up a bit there. But, I mean, I'm just going to reiterate a bit on Bamford. Yeah. Could you, do you think Bamford, I mean, obviously, it was his first his first appearance for England and then deserved his chance following um, like these performances at Leeds. But do you think he, do you think he grabbed it with both hands? No, I, I honestly don't think he did. Unlike someone like Bakayo Saka when he made his, when he made a run of England starts, Dominic Calvert-Lewin even getting a goal, uh, Grealish showing the impact he can have. Yeah, I don't think he took it. I don't, I, I forgot he was playing to be honest. Obviously, the physical team like Andorra, they're going to obviously be there to, you know, annoy and disrupt the striker. But I wasn't too impressed with his debut. And I don't think, I won't be surprised if he doesn't get a run out against Poland. I won't be surprised if he doesn't get selected in the next squad for the October games. Right. Yeah. OK. I mean, obviously, Southgate took, took the opportunity to look at him um, and he knows he's there. And I think he he only sort of made it in personally, probably because of a few injuries um, to, to other players. I mean, Jesse Lingard as well, although obviously he scored two, with the, uh, the situation at Manchester United now of a certain Ronaldo coming in, I mean, is he going to get the opportunities at United to continue to be in the forefront of, of Gareth's thoughts? That's a big, big problem for Lingard now, I think. Obviously, with how quick this Ronaldo deal unfolded, then Lingard didn't exactly have time to plan an exit out if he thought he wanted more game time. And now Ronaldo's there. I am concerned about Lingard's game time because if you're going to be a top international footballer, you've got to be coming into the side at the peak of your powers. Yeah, I'm a bit worried about Lingard. I think, to be honest, I don't think he should have stayed at United anyway. I think West Ham should have put in a bid for him. But again, this isn't a Premier League podcast. This is about England. So yeah, if he doesn't get a lot of playing time at Manchester United, I think we might have seen the last of Jesse Lingard in England shirt for a while because at the end of the day, Gareth is attending games as much as he can. We've seen him on the TV, up in the high in the stands. And if you're not out there on the pitch, he's not going to pick you. He wants, and also this England team now is come towards its peak and it's so difficult to get into. That's why any opportunity you get, you have to grasp it with uh, both hands and, even though Lingard did score two at the end of the day, no disrespect to Andorra, but it was Andorra. We should be beating them. So, yeah, Lingard now needs to realise that, right, I've got to really, you know, put 110% in effort in training in every game for Manchester United to force to get that starting spot for his club and hopefully he can get, be a regular feature in the England side. Uh, with the the second, third, and fourth goals all came after the the substitutions. It was as I say, Kane, Grealish, and Mount came on. Kane scored his his fortieth England goal from the, the spot after after actually Grealish and Mount combined. But the the player that I thought um, really stood out, and I'm so pleased that that he did, Bukayo Saka. Obviously, the the first game back at Wembley following the the final. He had a, an opportunity really early on, provided the assist for Lingard to score his first goal and then towards the end got the goal, which I didn't realise at the time was actually on his 20th birthday. Yeah, do you know what? I couldn't be happier for him. I mean, first of all, the surfer banner put together by Block 109 and obviously all the England fans were chipping in. 
I thought for a start that was great. And when his name was getting read out over the PA, even when while they were warming up, and also when they were reading out the teams, he got the biggest cheer, which was great to see. Everyone was behind him, and you could tell when you know when I watched the game back or seen highlights, things like that. He's now, you know, he was playing with a smile on his face because he knew he had the backing of the sixty or seventy thousand in the stadium. So no, I couldn't be happier for him and got a few goals to his name and do you know what fair play he's so mature for his age I mean for what he went through after missing that penalty must have been soul destroying but for him to come back like that and play with a smile on his face and know that he's got the backing of the of the true England fans let's say that I'm going to put that now the ones who get beyond team no matter what through thick or thin I think he would be going after that game he went to bed thinking do you know what I've got a backing of a nation behind me yeah, no, I agree. Um, and I was looking back on it when I did find out it was it was his birthday. He was actually born the, the same day England beat Albania up at Newcastle in 2001, which meant he wasn't even alive when when England beat Germany 5-1, which, uh, which made me feel quite old. Uh, I think anyone like that was good. You know, I mean, now I'm, at, I'm 24 years old and a number of footballers are uh, playing well now. I mean, Phil Foden's another one. Um, I was... Uh, Five years old, spent just doing all sorts of areas playing football. So you know, yeah, no, I'm I couldn't be happier for him. Yeah, and and you mentioned the um, the surfer banner that uh, Block One Hundred Nine and, and various England um, supporters organisations put um, together and supporters chipped in for, which was yeah, really really great touch and and looked absolutely amazing. Yeah, on to Poland. Um, obviously, um, it's it's going to be a totally different team again. Can any of those players that played? In that starting eleven, make the uh, the starting eleven for Poland. Do you think? I think the only one would be Saka. I think, but even then, I think we'll be seeing a similar team to what starts against Hungary. To be honest, because Poland is a. Uh, I don't know what the state is. Are they allowing one hundred percent capacity, or is they, well, they are going to be fans in attendance? But I don't know how many. I don't know if it's going to be. I don't know if it's not, a percentage or what. No, but there will be supporters no. in there. But it's going to be a similar atmosphere to Hungary, I reckon. But. No, I think we're going to be seeing a similar team um, to Hungary. I think the reason why Southgate gave the likes of Kane and Grealish and Mount a run out was just to keep on top of their match fitness, just to keep them ticking over. But, you know, I'm expecting a similar team to Hungary and hopefully a similar clinical display. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. Give us nine points out of nine for uh, for this international break. And I've got... I think I read somewhere, if, if that is the case and, and results go our way, then I believe that we would only need a point in the um, the next window, the next break in October, to secure qualification. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this at the uh, Green Man before the game. Literally, all it was, what everyone was talking about was get through this triple header with the tough away trips. If we could get through it without losing, then we might as well... well we're basically there, but we're already, as you said, if we get past Poland, get the win there, whatever way, we are literally one point or so away from qualifying, which will be uh, nice. It takes all the stress away. So, no, I mean, England is qualifying campaign. They've been efficient, they've been clinical. So, yeah, hopefully in October it could be um, one where we see a few more new faces as Southgate starts to get that squad ready for Qatar in 2022. Absolutely. Let's, let's look forward to it. Matt, thank you as always for joining us. I know the line was a little bit dodgy, but I think we've got, we got most of that there. Um, yeah, just, just give us a heads up where we can read some of your work. 
Yes, so you can follow me on Twitter at AspreMath. Obviously, we'll put all the links in the social media posts, and then you can read my blogs and things like that at mattaspreysport.wordpress.com. And the next England Diaries will be out after sometime after the Poland game. I'm going to do another triple uh, header again. So, yeah, keep an eye out on social media, and um, yeah, I'll be plugging it around to see once it's up. Oh. Super. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Thanks very much, Russell. Let's catch up with Dom Smith from EnglandFootball.org, who's been busy of late. Uh, we'll find out soon why. But before that, let's take a look at that last game that involved England. Poland away in Warsaw. And as Matt Asprey called it, Gareth Southgate elected to pick the same starting eleven that faced Hungary just six days before. As I say, let's welcome back Dom. Hi, Dom. Hello, how are we doing? Oh, I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, very well. Although it was a slightly arduous watch last night, wasn't it? Uh, I think it's something that um, that we needed to to have or to watch to experience after maybe the the previous two games. Obviously, there was the two four nil wins. Hungary was a um, was a little bit harder to start with, but then we made it our own in the second half, and and likewise Andorra, which we. We made hard work off for a uh, a little while in that game. Um, so I think a test was needed, really. And especially, as I spoke with a few other people, that after the Euros, would there be some sort of hangover from it? And I, and I think it's safe to say there, there hasn't really been one. We've come out firing on all cylinders, generally. I think um, these days, the way that kind of the media and fans think about England is perhaps with a bit more perspective, which is probably a good thing. And I think in the past, maybe you'd have looked at that game and thought in the immediacy, what a shame to lose those two points in the 92nd minute. And what a shame to dock two points whenever you docked them, you know, just a shame not to win every single qualifier. But actually, I think I've heard a lot of people um, since the game saying that we needed that, a test after the tournament in qualifying. We haven't, England haven't found too many qualifiers in the last few years you know, and that's a compliment to Gareth Southgate, particularly hard. I think England seemed to waltz through qualifying and they even did in the Roy Hodgson era and we know under Capello as well. But but that kind of makes preparations for tournaments harder because you're playing against such easy opposition that by the time you get to the tournaments, all you can really do is put a couple of meaningful friendlies um, ahead of the tournament and then hope for the best. But they don't even do that, the FA, because they're too scared that England might go into a tournament on the back of a defeat. So they put games with Ecuador, Hungary and teams like that. I think it was good, not that England didn't win, but that England had to really work hard for that. And ultimately, perhaps that late equaliser from Szymanski might actually be a good thing because it will it will remind England that, that there is still work to do when perhaps they would have felt after the Andorra game that, that maybe they're as close as they've ever been to being one of the best sides in the world after a Euros final and two 4-0 wins, particularly the one in Budapest, which I think after the hostility of the occasion and, and, and the racist abuse from, from some sections of the crowd, maybe the, the quality of that, that victory was lost, and, and understandably so, but that was a very decisive win. So I think the fact that England have dropped points against Poland in the long term might not be too much of a bad thing. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. I, if, if someone was to say to you at the beginning of this international window, here you go, seven points. You 
pretty much bite your hand off, wouldn't you? Do you think it was right, the the starting eleven that he picked, the same against Hungary? I, I don't see why not. I think in this squad, you were, you were certainly limited in terms of options on the wide areas. Mason Greenwood, for one reason or another, wasn't in the squad. I think the general consensus of that is that England kind of agree with Man United's um, stance on it, which is that we'd, we'd like him to perform and kind of star a little bit away from the limelight rather than uh, for England, although Man United isn't really away from the limelight that much. Um, not at the moment. Obviously, that no, certainly not. Um, Rashford's obviously having surgery, Phil Foden's injured. So so really, y- your wide options were quite limited to, to Sterling, Saka and Grealish. And, and that was about it, really. So um, I think it made sense to keep the same lineup. It, it seemed, I think it is England's strongest lineup from the squad that's there. And I think, I think, I think any fans that, that disagree with that would be in the minority, really. But everyone's got their own opinion, but I think most people would say that was England's strongest 11. So, so to make 11 changes for the Andorra game and then to make the 11 changes back to the, to the Hungary team, I think made sense. You know, if the Andorra game hadn't been in the middle, I don't think it would have been an identical lineup from one game to the next. But since the Andorra de- game did come in the middle, that's that's now the 40th game in a row that England have made at least one change between lineups. The, the last time that they went unchanged was actually in the World Cup back in 2018. So that that might be a problem, you, you might say, or you might say it's just a compliment to, to the, the the riches that, that Southgate's got at his disposal. And I think w- which side of the of the coin you take is is up to interpretation, really. Yeah, no, interesting start. I wasn't aware of that one. Uh, you mentioned Sterling and Saka. I think they both had a uh, had a fabulous break. Um, many of the players did, but you mentioned Grealish as well. And I, I, we all love to to watch Grealish. Um, and I was watching him last night. And there's just something about him. And it's always been said before. Obviously, he goes down a a little bit easy, shall we say? Um, but he does mm. he does draw those fouls in. But another thing that I sort of picked up on and, and I'm wondering if this will materialise going further on he seems quite easy to to perhaps wind up and and I'm I'm sceptical whether that might be something that maybe future oppositions may target I don't know well I think he certainly looked easy to wind up against Poland I, I, I agree with that but I've always found with with Grealish you know <laughs> how happy he is in game is often dependent on how on whether the referee is his friend that day or not <laughs> yeah i don't think that's necessarily a good a good kind of determinant for, for your mood in game you know you you should be able to find inspiration or not inspiration but you, you should be able to find calm and kind of a composed character whether or not the referee is giving decisions your way but but grealish does seems so dependent on winning those those fouls that actually if three or four don't go his way he seems to be in a foul mood for the rest of the match and that can't be good on or in terms of what he provides when he's on the ball I think the I think his ability to win fouls is incredible and it's a massive asset and it's yeah. quite uncanny how successful it, it usually is it wasn't against Poland to be fair I think the refereeing was quite poor in that game to be yeah. honest Certainly, I've heard it said before that that really he's so talented that he's just gone for a hundred million pounds. I don't think he needs to base his game quite so much on the fouls. I think he's such a capable raw footballer that really he he should be able to impact games in in ways beyond that. And and he's assisted a number of times for England. I haven't got the stat with me to be fair on how many assists he's got, 
Um, but it but it must be north of five or six, and and he's he's played less than less than twenty games for England, but he hasn't scored yet, and that that will be weighing on his mind. And, and in fact, he did a recent interview, and he and he said that it that it is, and this would have been a great international break for him to get his goal. So that that heightened impact is important, and we need to see that in future international breaks. I think. Well, with a uh, with a full season at Manchester City coming his way, and and working with the players that um, that he will be working with, perhaps those uh, those parts of his game may uh, may come out um, over over the next twelve months, and obviously benefit England. We've got to talk Harry Kane, haven't we? Forty one goals now for Harry Kane. He's forty first last night, and and what a goal! And and when it when it happened, I was, I mean, ITV were a little bit behind. They kind of caught Sam Matterface on the hop, really, with that one, because it, it was just sort of very un-Harry Kane-like. Um, and I or I found a YouTube video of Harry Kane's England goals, or previous 40 of them, and he's never scored further out than that. And in fact, only one of them has been outside the box. And you could just about say it was outside the box. So, yeah, great goal from Harry Kane. And it shows what, what else he's got to his bow. String and bow, whatever they say. Well, <laughs> I was just about to make that point, really, um, that that while he scored a lot of goals for England, 41, and he scored a lot of important goals, having won the golden boot at the World Cup and got really close, actually, with the knock in the knockout stages of the Euros, he's never scored many good goals for England. Important goals are good goals, you could argue, but technically good goals. Yeah. He's, he's, he scored a few. He scored one in that in that friendly win over Germany under Roy Hodgson, where he did that nice Cruyff turn and, and flung it in the corner, and Neuer was nowhere near it. But you know, it's slim pickings in terms of like technically impressive goals that he scored for England, and that was a lovely one. And and I think it's such a it's such a humorous way to score the only goal of the night against Poland. You you try everything to score an England goal, which is really to get in behind, to peg it back, and someone to finish from close range. You know, a kind of walk it in the net goal, which a team as good as England should be able to do. But you try up to seventy minutes um, to no avail, and then you just hoof it from. Maybe that's harsh, <laughs> but you, you get the point. You turn, you see no options, and rather than spraying out wide, you just hammer it on goal from thirty-two yards, and it goes in. And maybe there's a lesson there. Certainly, a lovely goal, and he came so close to to scoring the only goal in a one-nil, which he hasn't done too many times for England. He's not really been the the difference maker in in a one-goal game too many times. World Cup twenty eighteen, you, you've got to give him that. Certainly against Tunisia, his performance stands out, but. Of course, Poland came back and got that late equaliser, which you, you watch the body language of the England players and they just looked both shattered and so disappointed with themselves. Yeah, well, well, let's let's look at that. I mean, as frustrating as it was, I, I, I had my hands, my head in my hands for a moment and it was like, OK, it's we've got a draw out of this. I'm, I'm happy with it, as I say, seven points out of nine. But I think it was a... It was a decent goal that you you can't knock it. The I think it was Moda, uh, Moda, however you pronounce his name, passed Walker with a, a fabulous bit of skill. The ball went into the box, came out again, and, and Lewandowski crossed it in beautifully for um, what was his name, Selensky, um, to head home. Shemansky, yeah, Shemansky. Beg your pardon. I've got no complaints with yeah, the goal, uh- really. No, I agree. The only complaint you sh- you could have, and I think probably should have, is that Kyle Walker can't let Modder beat him that easily. I mean, 
we know that Carl Walker is is the right back of all of England's many right backs chosen to come into a back three when England do play a back three because of his defensive ability and his now we know that's largely more because of his recovery pace than his ability to tackle but he can't let the player beat him that easily you know ultimately that's what conceded the goal really you know the cross came in from Modder it was half cleared because England were shattered and, and that's pr- partly because there were no substitutions and I'm sure we'll get onto that but Lewandowski, you know, clipped it back in very nicely and Schumanski was there to make it 1-1. You know, England didn't make any substitutions in the game and Southgate was saying afterwards that it that really it would have been substitutions for the sake of it if he had brought someone on. I see that perspective, I do, but equally you're going to have to trust more than 11 of your players at some point because you, you've got a tournament coming up. You've just had a tournament and also you, you need to be able to see the game out. Jordan Henderson is the Liverpool captain. I mean, he was only playing Andorra at the weekend, but I don't know if you if you watched Jordan Henderson's performance as intently as I did, but he absolutely ran that game. It was against Andorra, who are minnows and who he should have had the control of, but he, he was in control of everything. He was picking up the ball, recovering it, spraying it around everywhere. Well, we've seen him do that against much better opposition for his club and his country before. So if, if you're not going to bring him on to hold the game out, you know, why, why is he even in the team? Why is he even in the squad? And uh, and Jesse Lingard, while maybe he won't play a big part for Man United this season, certainly seems to be a player who works particularly well for Southgate's England, seems to understand the system very well and is very reliable. So why he wasn't brought on for someone like Mason Mount, who wasn't very impactful and, and really, you know, for once, he's fantastic for England, but for once Mason Mount just looked like he was running around aimlessly, really. So, so I, I think I would have bought off Phillips, who, as well as that yellow card, which you always run the risk of getting another, always looked a little bit off the pace uh, the, uh, last night. I wasn't too impressed by Phillips's performance. So I think Phillips and and Mount for uh, for Lingard and, and Henderson, uh, and much earlier than than when they concede when they conceded to Poland, by the way, would have been sensible substitutions. But you know, I, I also see the perspective of we didn't need to make any substitutions. But you look at the last 10 minutes and you say England looked absolutely shattered. And if substitutions aren't there to to cure tiredness, then what are they for? Yeah, I mean, a lot has been made of this, the substitution issue. And yes, obviously, England looked a bit sort of bedraggled as, as the game was, was coming to its conclusion. But as Roy Keane said on after the game, if Poland hadn't have scored and had equalised in that last minute at the injury time, then, then not a great deal would have been made of no substitutions. And, and as well, I kind of think we could have made substitutions and Poland could have still scored that goal. Yeah. It's so, you can weigh it up either way. Um, and there's also the other yeah, argument. Yeah, I, t- I take your point. Yeah, there's also the other argument of of maybe England need to be trying to see out games more than just a, a one nil. Um, but this is exactly why I think we needed a a test like this to come away with with three wins and nine points out of nine. Then perhaps we wouldn't have learned a great deal. But but by having this event um, um, conceded in in the last minute, then there's there's plenty for Gareth to, and his team to come away and go, right, well, I need to work on that. I need to make sure that doesn't happen against Albania and Andorra, I think, in October. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, all in all, I, I'm quite happy with, with that international window. Yeah, and as I've said, perversely, I, I'm almost pleased in the long term that England didn't win the game because... 
they'll look at that in a way that if they glanced through on a one nil, maybe they maybe they'd have analysed it less. Maybe I'm being maybe um, the the FA analysts would listen to this and be tearing their hair out and say no, we analyse everything perfectly. But <laughs> you, you you get the picture. But the only thing I'd say to 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 what you said was, you know, you say, oh well, as Roy as Roy Keane said, sort of if that goal didn't happen, we wouldn't be scrutinising it. Yeah, but it did happen. And we can only go on what did happen. And that's that England couldn't clear their lines because they were shattered and couldn't put their foot through it. And so they did concede and they did dock two points that they didn't need to dock. Um, There doesn't need to be a scapegoat. And we'll never know whether England would have performed better or maybe even worse had they brought on substitutions, let alone the substitutions I suggest. (laughs) Sat, uh, Sat in my room here talking about it. But you know that that's just football that's speculation and uh, i certainly think england's quality on the bench was was en- was enough to come on and make a difference in a game where where a difference was needed and i think it was needed because england you know england really looked like they were hoping not to concede in those last sort of 10 5 minutes and and they didn't need to to get that far to to bring on lingard and and maybe henderson to sh- to shore the game up would have been smart substitutions but We'll we'll never know whether that would have worked out better or worse. That's that's why we love the game. Yeah, you say you're um you're sitting there in your room talking to me now. But one place where you you weren't watching the game in your room was the Andorra game, where you had the uh, had the privilege of sitting in the press box at Wembley, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I've been able to engage in the uh, England press conferences via kind of video link for a year or so but not been able to get to any of the games in in a press capacity so it was good to get to the Andorra game and it's it's a good first game to to sort of start with the with filing on on the whistle from from the stadium because you kind of know what you're going to get you're going to get a glut of goals albeit they came quite late and you're going to get an England victory that's perhaps not dazzling because playing against a team that defensive is never going to be but yeah, um, you know, really enjoyable. Although it was a very hot day, very very hot. I'm guessing you you were at the game, weren't you? Yeah, you I was in the. It was, re- it was really humid. Yeah, I was in the upper tier for that one, where um, I was I was quite far back actually. I, I haven't been that far back for quite some time. But um, I'm, what's the view like from the the press box? What's the sort of environment there? Who are you sitting next to? Uh, yeah, so so there was sort of the. Uh, the mainstream media were just slightly along and then there was all, quite near to me was, was all the people from the FA and play, and people like that. And there was, a, there was a little bit of local press as well from, um, from papers in Brent or the area, okay. but it was mainly just the national papers and, and you've got the, you've got the lounge where you get your meal. And uh, so, so yeah, you, get, um, you know, it was nice. We saw, um, saw a, a couple of faces that I know reasonably well. And um, I, I saw the, uh, the BBC five live, guys recording so yeah it was a good experience and i'd expect i'll probably be back in october or november so um no certain certainly a good start so what, what meal did you get go on what, what did they feed you with oh it was it was strange it was strange really it was sort of a it was sort of a mash and, and, and veg kind of meal but it was very nice good stuff. and um dessert was dessert was a brownie so I'll oh lovely <laughs> god let's just quickly um look forward to october where we've got andorra away and hungry at home at wembley i think it's a couple of points or, or a win in one of those games will, will see us through won't it yeah i mean we'll, we'll just have to be careful because whoever's whoever else is playing kind of games against san marino and andorra next month are likely to to get more points than the others and and below us on 16 points we have albania on 12 at the moment and poland on 
11 and Hungary on 10. So any of those could kind of jump above any other in the next round of games. And, and how well one of those does will limit whether England can kind of officially qualify next round or whether they'll have to wait again till November. But the point is, England have done so well in these first six qualifiers that they're basically there already. Officially, they're not. But um, certainly two wins would go a long way. And I think I think you probably expect them to get two wins, maybe a draw at home to Hungary. But with, with a home crowd and we don't know how many Hungarian fans could travel to that game, it might still be zero. Then you'd, you'd, you'd expect that England should get six points. And even on that 3G pitch in, in Andorra, you'd still expect them to uh, to come away with all three. So, yeah. October should be uh, should be fairly comfortable for England, but we've we've been there before. We'll see. Uh, we'll wait and see. And well, uh, well, perhaps we can catch up in October and, uh, and mull it all over then. I look forward to it. Let's hope we're mulling over something good and not something disappointing. Let's see. Officially, there were no tickets made available to England away fans for the the two recent games that we had. But that didn't stop many fans making the trip to both Hungary and Poland and getting tickets over there. It was one way of doing it. Uh, And one of those fans that did exactly that was Chelsea and England fan Kunal Sapats. We've spoken before and it's good to speak again. Kunal, you're back. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm back. And yeah, just back from these two... Away trips, well, unofficial away trips. <laughs> well, that's right. They, they, yeah, unofficial for from an England travel club perspective. But um, yeah. yeah, you decided to go to to Budapest for Hungary and Warsaw for Poland. All straightforward, was it? On the kind of the the flights and sort of the I don't know, whatever you have to go through with all the the paperwork and, and virus side of things. Well, um, you know, as it was approaching closer to both these games. Few of us, you know, we still wanted to go as long as the countries let us in. You know, we wanted to try and get tickets and we wanted to do the, our best to get there until about a week before Hungary. We weren't sure what the requirements, if they're going to change or not, but we managed to get to Hungary fairly easily. Um, we just, well, I think we just needed a PCR test to get in. You know, it's an amber country. Um, for myself, I didn't have to quarantine on return. Um, because I'm double vaccinated and it was similar for Poland for Poland if you're double vaccinated you didn't need to do any tests to get in but obviously we still have to do the tests on return which uh, which I think well we have to do with most most places now um, anywhere you're going but that aside um, there wasn't any issues going there and there there was wasn't really any issues getting to see the game either oh good stuff good to hear I mean Obviously, there was no tickets made available by the England Supporters Club. So how did you go about getting tickets for, for both of them? Was it straightforward? Well, we we were just looking online. We were just trying to see if we could get tickets um, through that, you know, the home FA's websites, you know, or just look around and ask people. Um, I think actually my brother works with someone Hungarian who sort of gave us information on where the tickets would be going on sale, on general sale. And, you know, they were available to buy to anyone. Um, we did have to buy a package, actually. We had to buy tickets to Hungary versus England and Hungary versus Andorra as a package to actually get the England tickets. Oh, really? But but for us, the price of the ticket was the same as it would cost to just see one game at Wembley anyway, right. in the home end. So, so, you know, we weren't really out of pocket by having to buy two matches. 
So, uh, and, and getting into Hungary, the, the ground, there wasn't really any issues. They asked to see your like PCR tests or vaccination status. Few of the lads did get a question, where are you from and all that? But, you know, we all sort of went in um, with different entrances and we all managed to get in. Four of us went in together. We actually were in, right in the upper tier um, at the back. Four of us stood together and then we got there and there was about maybe 10 other England fans right near us. So oh, really? there was an unofficial England away end, <laughs> although there were... Although there were people spread um, across the ground, um, you know, seeing from, you know, pictures and social yeah. media. So so it wasn't just our bit, but there was quite a number of people who had done the same as us and the same thinking as us. And the stadium was incredible to see. So, you know, it was a, it was a good ground to um, see a match at. Yeah. I mean, with, with Hungary, obviously, we, we watched it on the telly back here and, and we saw all the the scenes that unfortunately unfolded. Did you, well, what was the atmosphere like in there? Was it be like being an, an unofficial traveller? As I said, we were in the upper deer and, you know, there was a mix of people there. There was families, there was locals. We didn't have any issues right there. You know, atmosphere seemed okay there. But right below us was the so-called, I guess, the ultras end or whatever you call it. You can see from the lower tier down there, obviously they were, abusive towards our players and throwing objects and all that all that stuff but um i don't think there were any england fans in that section anyway as i said where we were right at the top it was okay it was all fine and it was actually they even let us celebrate actually oh, uh, really? you know not 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 too intensely obviously mm. but you, you know we could celebrate and no one would say anything to us um so there was no issues there there's no issues getting out the ground but it was clear that below us in the lower tier, the atmosphere was, probably wasn't as pleasant and probably wouldn't have been if we were behind the goal. But from our experience, it was all good. Oh, good stuff. Understandable. Yeah. I mean, what, what about Budapest as a, uh, a city? Do you get a chance to have a, uh, a look around there and, and enjoy it? Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, you know, it's got numerous bars. I think they've got ruined bars and, you know, various uh, different bars that have you know, good to visit and cheap drinks as well. But also the more cultural side, they've got the thermal baths. Me and two friends, we did like a boat cruise as well. So we did fit in a few things other than just the football. And, you know, Budapest is a great city. And it's actually the second time I've been there. So I sort of knew where to go and yeah. what to do and, and definitely enjoyed the visit there. Uh, and then Warsaw for, for Poland, a ground that, I've been to, um, sat in, but not actually watched a game there, having been in, what was it, 2013, I think, when the uh, the heavens opened and they postponed the game by 24 hours. Um, but that's a cracking stadium, that one, isn't it? Oh, yeah, that, that was an amazing stadium as well. Um, just like Budapest, it was, Warsaw Stadium was a ground that you need to visit if you've not visited. And again, just like Budapest, we had tickets right at the top. But, you know, we were happy to be there. We were, Quite a few of us were stood together, actually. We even managed to get a flag up in the ground and, you know, they didn't have a problem with that. I would say that atmosphere overall might have been better in Poland, actually, from the home crowd, actually. Yeah. It was, it just seemed a better atmosphere overall and may, maybe slightly to the edge over Budapest in terms of the ground and the atmosphere. Uh, 
but really both of them I you know both of them I can't complain they were they were great and the great fun to be at the only thing I, I guess we didn't get the win in uh, Poland but you know I'll take I'll take the points we got and the trips we've had like um I think I was in Warsaw for similar time as I was in Budapest so both both cities um I got to experience um the local area and enjoy, enjoy the sights and the uh, local hospitality as well yeah watching on the the telly for the Poland game God Save the Queen was was certainly audible by plenty of fans, English fans, singing it. Um, was there, do you reckon there were more fans in Poland than there were in, in Hungary? I definitely think so. Um, so when we went to Hungary, we we bumped into a few fans, you know, more and more as sort of they got to match day or sort of you're walking around and you bump into some other fans. But I definitely think more people made the effort for Poland. Um, I don't know, perhaps it was slightly easier to get into or, or or something but there were definitely more people we saw um as as the days went on and as it came to match day and more people we were near in the ground as well yeah well squeezed in the middle of those two games was of course the the Andorra game at Wembley which uh, obviously you got to as well because you were one of the the main organisers um, behind the the fantastic walk tall banner that was unveiled just before the uh, before the kickoff there. That's right. So I think the idea for the banner came about uh, a couple of months ago, just after the Euros. Obviously, we saw the abuse that some of the players received online, and you know the unfair treatment they had. And you know we got together with different groups i think we spoke to you as well and yeah. a few other like-minded people and we came up with the idea to sort of show our support in a positive way and we came up with the design for the banner well, well crowd surf as you call it um you know, with the message walk tall and you know s- sort of showing that we walked all alongside them and we support you know the real to show that the real supporters don't abuse the players real supporters are there to show support and back them 100%. You know, that was a clear message we wanted to show. And this was unveiled before kickoff, um, right behind the goal in the home end. Yeah, it, it, it looked fantastic from the uh, the pictures I saw. Unfortunately, I got in just after um, it had been basically taken down, which was really frustrating um, from my from my perspective. But what, what sort of reaction has it got? Has it got people talking, do you know? Yeah, it definitely has. Um, you, you know, pe- people noticed it and, you know, people have said, well done for doing that. In fact, it was in Warsaw, we bumped into a couple of immediate um, people and, you know, they, you know, we got chatting to them and they said, yeah, well, well, well done, well done for doing it. And, you know, it, it looked great and um, it was a great, great idea. Yeah, um, it was a crowd-funded initiative by by everyone within sort of Block 109 who who contributed, uh, or not just within Block 109, um, but contributed to its making. Um, are there plans to have future banners, crowd surfers like this um, in, in future games? And definitely. Um, we're always looking to do different, different ideas and banners and flags to show support. Uh, there will definitely be more to come as as we go along. Um, we've done different banners over over the last few years, but something as big as this, a large crowd surface, we want to 
get uh, more ideas going, get more of these done. Well, this was a fan funded uh, crowd so far, but you know, we are still, we have kept the, you know, the donations page still open um, to, you know, to make up the full amount. Um, if anyone still wants to contribute, um, we've just left that open as well. Um, but in future, we'll be doing more more of these and looking for new ideas as we go along. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's the the monthly draw that takes place, and I saw as well. I know we we spoke previously um, about Wem Beerly. Um, that's right. The, the beer that was uh, produced, and and that's coming to the end of its run. And there's there's still a few left if people want to uh, want to grab a bottle of that. That's right. Um, so we launched Wem Beerly. Um, around April time before the Euros sort of um, get the buzz going around the Euros, raise a bit of money for grassroots football and, you know, just have a beer for the England fans to drink and enjoy. We are coming to the end of it very soon, actually. Um, And the last remaining stock is still available. But if you want one, you're going to have to be very, very quick because it, it won't be available after that. Tell us the website where we can go and get that one. So if, if you go to block109.co.uk, you can um, get a case of Wembeerly uh, for half the price now. And if you're not a member of Block 109, you can sign up there as well and, you know, have more involvement in uh, banners and other ideas we do um, going forward. Excellent. It's a, it's a great fan initiative and it's, uh, it's, I'm pleased to be, to be part of it in, in some way, small shape or form. So, uh, yeah, thanks and, and keep up the good work, Canal. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. Much appreciated. Cheers to Kunal there and cheers to Aidan, to Matt and Dom. They are all on social media. Go check. Uh, yeah, go check Three Lions podcast uh, and you'll find them all linked there. Uh, it's been a fairly long one this, but with three games to recap on, I hope we've done them all justice and I hope you've enjoyed it. Now, the next international window is in October when we travel to Andorra on the 9th. And I say we, it is looking highly likely that England supporters will be able to make the journey. Uh, and then we'll entertain Hungary at Wembley on the 12th of October. And of course, we will have the usual preview nearer the time. But I'll be back with you very soon with another Three Lions podcast. I hope you can join me for it. Cheers. Cheers.